Welcome into another edition of what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, you need a second car, an RV, a utility vehicle. North Toronto Auction may have what you're looking for. The Auto Auction Centre celebrating its 20th anniversary this weekend. We take a look back on how many cars they've sold. Big event this weekend for the Season Centre for Grieving Children in Barrie. We get the details on that, including an auction, and find out more about what the centre is all about. House fire a couple of weeks ago in Alliston might have been deadly, but for a couple of young men who were passing by and risked their lives to save a couple of others, we meet one of them and get their story. Barry Mayor Alex Nuttall makes his monthly visit to what Barry's talking about, and the Barry Baycats are gearing up for the coming season, the brass thinking they made the off-season moves needed to bring the Intercontinental Baseball League Championship back to Barry. But first... The Barry Colts skate toward a championship came to an end this week. They forced a Game 7 in their Eastern Conference semifinal, took the early lead on North Bay in that game, but could not hold the battalion off the board. A disappointing end to what was an exciting season. Barry 360's Will Conkin takes a look back with Colts broadcaster Gene Pereira. So, uh, a tough way to end the season for the Colts. Game 7 in North Bay, Barry lost 3-1, season over. Um... The Colts were looking good heading into the third in this game, up one zip. Penalties were an issue for the club. What are your initial thoughts, Gene? Yeah, I think you look back, and uh, I think this is one of these games that they felt they really could have won. And, you know, you get into these Game 7 t- scenarios where really anything can happen. And, uh, you know, Barry was playing, you know, one of their best games in the series. I mean, they had really shut down North Bay offensively they were up one nothing and there's no doubt that they wanted to get some insurance but I think two quick penalties uh two quick power plays for North Bay and you know they capitalize on both and uh, good teams do that the battalion did that and then they get an empty netter but I think you know a bit of disappointment uh you know in talking to Marty Williamson and Brant Clark uh, obviously they weren't they weren't happy with the calls but there's a bit of sourness there uh, you know, with their feeling, they're in control of that hockey game. But, uh, you know, I, I think this is pretty much what people expected in this series is for it to go full length and to be that close. I mean, these two teams are really evenly matched. But I think at the end of the day, even though that Marty and, uh, you know, the guys don't like to use excuses because, I mean, you got to go on with who you got in the lineup. But there's no doubt that, you know, this team just couldn't get healthy. I mean, Right from day one, uh, Cardwell and uh, Veerling and Punnett were out uh, uh, of the lineup, and, uh, and you know they couldn't get healthy. And uh, you know the loss of Veerling and then Jelsma for a game in this series, a few games in the first round, just really caught up to them. And you know when you look at it, uh, I, I think there was real difference. I think the series would have been over earlier uh, had they been fully healthy. Yeah, it was um, a lot of uh, ups and downs, and I, I guess, unfortunately, they lost, but it was a very exciting series. And then now, um, looking forward for the Colts uh, this off season, they're um, losing some players and uh, some decisions to be made for the club. What do the uh, Colts need to address right away? Yeah, I, I think you're going to look, I mean, this is a team that's going to go through some changes. First and foremost, obviously, you know, you lose your overage. For Ethan Cardwell, he signed with San Jose. Uh, you know, he'll start his pro career. Uh, I think for Declan McDonald and Evan Veerling, I mean, two kind of warriors. A uh, tough way for Evan to uh, to end his career on the sidelines, but, uh, you know, there's a hope there that he was going to 
sign a pro contract, but I think without a doubt he's going to get an invite, uh, you know, to, to, to uh, NHL camps. And, uh, you know, the hope there is, is that he turns some heads. He had a big-time year. He really earned it. And, uh, you know, hopefully you, you see him get a chance. And the same for McDonald, who was just outstanding in the playoffs. And, uh, again, it was uh, drafted by Tampa Bay, didn't sign, went to Buffalo camp, and, you know, the hope that he'll get another look, but just a hard worker. So, obviously, you have those guys. And, you know, with their departure, they take a ton of scoring with them. And I think that's going to be biggest, uh, Barry's biggest hole to fill next year when you look at it. I mean, you got those three. Uh, you start in the back end and goal. I think Anson Thornton's probably going to move on to pro hockey, signed by Arizona as well. Ben West can be an overager, but you're only allowed three overage. So the situation, they're going to have to look at that with, you know, the likes of Braden Hache if he doesn't sign with Florida. And, you know, Jacob Frasca, Tyler Savard, Connor Punnett. I mean, you can only have three OAs, so they're going to have a decision to make there about who they keep and uh, who they decide to, to, to move. You know, as well, coming back next year, obviously, Bo Gelsman will be a big part. We saw Bo Red and Carter Lowe take uh, steps, but uh, I think scoring is going to be this, this team's biggest Achilles. I think you'll take a little bit of a, a step back as they rebuild, and uh, the hopes is they get Edward Saleh over from Europe, and that'll certainly help with their scoring uh, for next season. But, uh, you know, when you go through, this will be a, a different roster, a younger roster. I think probably you might see Hillebrand take over a net. And again, I mean, the blue line should be still pretty good. They're going to have Bo Akey and uh, obviously Brian Clark will go on, move on uh, with the, uh, the Los Angeles Kings organization. But, uh, you know, they should still have... Uh, you know, possibly punt it and Hache back there. Grayson Tiller should be healthy uh, and recover from his shoulder surgery. Uh, you know, and uh, Kayshawn Aitchison is kind of an exciting guy back there. And, you know, we saw near the end of the year there, in a couple of games, there's a lot of potential there, and he'll, he'll get a chance. So I think their blue line uh, should be fairly, uh, fairly decent next year. Uh, but when you move up front, it's the big question of. Uh, uh, it's always tough to replace, uh, you know, skilled the scorers like, you know, Verling and Cardwell and so on. But, you know, that'll be the big question up front for the very close next season is where do they get their scoring? Yeah, it was a really, uh, really fun and entertaining season through the ups and downs and everything. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what actually happens going forward. Well, Gene, we really appreciate the Colts' insight throughout the season. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, guys. It was, uh, it was a great year. And, uh, you know, like I said, look, I mean, next year, uh, a younger team, but it's always exciting to see those guys develop. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, Colts hockey was uh, it was a great season, a little bit of a disappointing end here, but uh, uh, there's no doubt uh, a ton of entertainment and, uh, you know, looking forward to next year already. couple of young men being recommended for civilian citations after coming to the rescue of an elderly woman and another young man this month when their Alliston home caught fire. A twist of fate put Cole Hodsden and Ben Sawyer in the right place at the right time. Cole recounting the story for you and Barry 360's MJ. What exactly uh, happened? I know you were driving with Ben, correct? Yeah, I was training Ben and we'd gotten a ton of the gym. 
and I was dropping him off at his girlfriend's house, but he forgot dinner. And he didn't live that far away. He lived like a minute away. So I was like, yeah. He was like, hey man, like I forgot my dinner. Like, can you bring me back to my house so I can grab it? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I can do that. So at this point, we would have been able to like see that same house that a minute later was like burning down. But at this point, it like wasn't even on fire. Like it was probably on fire in the inside, but on the outside there was no smoke, no nothing. So took Ben. Uh, back to his house, he grabbed his dinner, we came back, and um, over the houses, you could just see, like, gray, like, it, it wasn't dark gray at this point, it was more of, like, the color of just, like, a stop sign, it, like, it was a light gray, and we seen that, and we are like, oh my gosh, we've got the house fine, like, there could be kids in there, so I, like, pulled the car over, and hopped out of the car before I was even, like, in park, um, and we went running to the door, and we were, like, banging on it, banging on it, and we weren't getting a, getting a response, and then we were about to like attempt to kick down the door, but uh, the grandson, I guess he came, and he opened the door, and we were like, yo, like your house is on fire, like get out. So, he, sorry, so they didn't even know at this point that the house was on fire? The old lady didn't, but I think the grandson might have. He ran back into the fire for his dogs, and then... We were, like, just in, like, the, I guess, like, the front area. And there was, like, smoke, but not, like, a whole lot of it. Like, you could still see probably, like, I don't know, maybe, like, 12, 15 feet in front of you at this point. It was pretty, like, smoky, but, like, you could still see. So then he seen, like, the old lady in the chair, and she was, like, coughing, trying to, like, get up. So Ben, he took off his shirt. He put it over his mouth. And he he went into the fire, and then he went up to her, and from Ben's words, he said, like because I guess because of Alzheimer's, she didn't know what was happening. So he said to her, like, "Hey, like we gotta go." And she was she was like pushing him off, and she was like, "No, like what are you doing?" And he was like, he like just said to her, like, "Look, everything's gonna be okay, but like we gotta go." Took his t-shirt off, and then he like put it over her mouth so like she wasn't inhaling smoke and he got her out and then once she was out of the house like i guess again because the alzheimer's like she just didn't know the house was on fire so like she was trying to like go back in after she'd gotten out and she was like what do you mean like my house isn't on fire and i was like hey like you can't go back in there like it's not safe Mm -hmm. so after that point like people started like showing up 911 had been told. At this point, the whole house was, like, up in flames. Like, you couldn't even see a foot in, like, where we could see, like, 15 feet in front of us before. You couldn't even see, like, a full foot in front of you because the smoke was, like, that dark. So it was literally, like, so, say, a minute you drove past the house to get Ben his dinner, and then, what, two minutes later you're driving by and you see the smoke, and then maybe Mm -hmm. five minutes after all this happened, the house is fully engulfed. Is that just such a... We yeah. always know that house fires can spread fast, but this is this is crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, like, well, and the thing is, too, like, when people say, like, oh, like, the smoke's the most dangerous part, like, you think about it, because I, before this, I was a welder, and when I was a welder, like, I did it for a whole month without a respirator, so I was inhaling, like, smoke with, like, metal in it for a whole month. Not a good decision. I don't recommend. But... I was doing that, and, like, probably about after, like, a month of doing that, I was getting, like, shortness of breath. No word of a lie with me being in there for, like, 
within like, I don't know, 20 seconds and just being around those, that smoke, like you could like really feel it in your chest. Like Ben was saying that from him being like deep inside the fire, it felt like pins and needles wow. in his chest. So and, it, it really is scary. And good on Ben. It must have been instinctual. Like when we were talking mm-hmm. here, like would we think to take off our shirts and, and put it over our nose? Is it just instinctual? Like we, we know it's a smart thing to do, but... You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like just because it's such a simple thing. But yeah. <laughs> would we would we remember to do that, and especially to give it to her, right? One hundred percent. And honestly, I just think it was one of those things in the moment where it was like there's not really time to like hesitate. It's kind of just something you got to take action on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that like whether that's like with this fire or anything in life, like if you hesitate with a lot of things and you don't take action on it, you'll miss out on things that could like save someone's life, for example. Police after the fact told me, he was saying like, Ben and I was just like, what you guys did was like dumb, but like, we're glad you did it because like if you wouldn't have done that, like that old lady probably wouldn't be alive right now. That is kind of scary to think about. But the police also did just say like, everybody got out perfectly fine not even like a single injury so it went the best that possibly could our thanks to Cole Hodsden for taking the time to share his and Ben's story with us North Toronto Auction celebrating 20 years of putting people in the driver's seat I know people who won't buy a car anywhere else our Will Conkin is with North Toronto's manager of sales marketing and customer care James Watson how did the idea of North Toronto Auction get going? First that started, um, I guess they came up with the idea in 2001 and uh, managed to open the doors up here in Innisfil um, in 2003. Uh, the first auction that uh, we held was April 10th, 2003. And uh, the first car we ever sold was a 1993 Toyota Camry. Uh, sold for $4,800. Uh, we do have a couple of uh, dealers that were at that first auction uh, back in 2003. Um, they're going to be with us uh, this Saturday. We're going to honor them uh, for their long-standing commitment to us. And do you know how many vehicles you've sold over the years? Uh, just so, so obviously we put stock stickers on all the vehicles. Um, we're up to um, 260,000 stock stickers we've used. So I would say that's roughly about the amount of vehicles that we've sold um, over the 20 years. The company's probably gone through a lot throughout the years. Um, what were some other milestones? We were the first auction to open up uh, for public bidding in 2007. Same time, that's when we got a couple of our larger contracts. We've been um, selling um, on behalf of the province of Ontario and the city of Toronto since 2007. Um, and of course, uh, leading into 2020, we all got hit with that pandemic. We shut our doors for about six weeks before opening back up again. Almost out of necessity, we do collect um, financial repos uh, from a a variety of different uh, banks. So they were still coming in even through the pandemic. We opened back up um, to the dealers first in March, or I guess it was May. We opened up the dealers May 2020 and um, uh, started again. Basically, it's like we had to build our business back up again, if you would believe it. Um, Inventory was down. and ever since then, like just with the uh, challenges in the automotive industry, um, with uh, shortages of the new vehicles coming in, um, it has uh, still been a challenge building up our inventory. So since we opened back up again, we've been slowly growing and trying to get back to our regular volumes that we had before the shutdown. 
Uh, one thing we had to do during the pandemic um, is find a way to and improve our online presence and our online bidding um, because of all the restrictions. So we did start to host public auctions, but they were online only. Of course, everyone has uh, restrictions to come and inspect uh, cars in person. They always have that option. Uh, but with all the restrictions, we just had to operate a little bit differently uh, to make sure that they could go and check the vehicles out safely and then you know, go back home and register to bid online or online platform. I saw actually as well that uh, you guys uh, launched, uh, was it an app in uh, 2021? Would you yes. talk about more about that as well? Yeah. So AutoGavel, mobile app um, that's been in the works for a little while. Uh, but yeah, that was launched in 2021. Um, so the idea with that app is that um, anybody can download it for free um, and for the dealers um, and even some of our select uh, customers, they can upload vehicles um, from their location to sell at any of our auctions. Uh, so this is becoming more frequent, um, especially with the, with the wholesale on the dealer side. Um, a lot of uh, dealers will list their vehicles from their location um, and will sell them by auction on our website. Um, so that's uh, been going quite well. More and more we're seeing uh, those off-site vehicles being listed uh, for our auctions. It's been a really uh, full uh, 20 years for you guys. And um, now that you guys are uh, celebrating um, the 20th anniversary, uh, what's what's going on on the day on Saturday? What do you have planned? Lots of exciting stuff planned, Will. So we have uh, got surprises and giveaways and promotions and free food uh, for everyone that comes out and registers with us. Um, of course, um, we got hundreds of cars, trucks, SUVs to sell, and a bunch of industrial equipment on Saturday as well. But yeah, we got um, lots of activity um, at 9 a.m. Uh, we're going to have opening ceremonies and um, honor some of the long-standing uh, members that have been with us since uh, that first auction, um, and then uh, do a couple of early bird draws for uh, all all of the people that registered. And then uh, yeah, got a few uh, promotions going on on social media. Awesome. Give away some uh, draws and tickets for some uh, gift cards. Everything's going on at uh, your location. Where's that at? 3230 Thomas Street in Ennisville. Doors open up at 8 o'clock Saturday morning. Auction starts at 9 a.m. sharp. And then um, what's planned for the next 20 years now? Have you guys kind of already <laughs> talked about that? <laughs> Great question. Well, we're hoping to build on the momentum here, and we do want to uh, increase our inventory um, over the next uh, few years, of course, as the industry improves. But, um, yeah, big plans, I think, is that with the AutoCapital Lab, we're looking at... Uh, really expanding uh, that uh, that service so that we can offer it on a national level to be with some of the larger um, dealer auction goods out there. If anyone is uh, interested in learning more about North Toronto Auction, uh, where should they go? They can go to our website, NorthTorontoAuction.com, or they can always give us a call, 705-436-4111. Any of our customer care reps would be happy to help them out. What Barry's talking about is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry has to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began last July. Met stand-up comic and poet Vanessa Smythe, who brought her one-woman show to talk his free theater this week. Had a chat with singer-songwriter David Wilcox and heard from Barry's new police chief, Rich Johnston, about how he plans to guide the service over the next few years. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any streaming service. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, the Barry Baycats think they have the pieces in place to take a run at another championship. Mayor Alex Nuttall drops by, and we find out more about the Tender Hearts Gala and auction happening this weekend to support the Season Center for Grieving Children. Now this. It's cool to care. 
It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling 1-888-2-DONATE. Cool to Care is brought to you by the Peggy Hill Team. Keeping it real all the way to sold. Reach out now at PeggyHill.com. It's Cool to Care with 107.5 Cool FM. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. Lots of social media chatter about crime in the city. Many rants about how bad the city is getting, but is it? Barry 360's Ian McLennan puts the question to Mayor Alex Nuttall in his regular monthly visit to the podcast. We've had a series of incidents the past few days. We had, you know, an arson at a home. We had... um. A stabbing on Gun Street. We had the carjacking, knife point carjacking. We had a shooting up in the Letitia Heights area. A lot of social media activity right away. You know, oh no, what's what's become of Barry? Um, how do you put things in perspective like that and try to you know regroup and say, you know what? We, overall, we still live in a very safe community. Well, I think first of all, um, you know, accepting uh, that these things are happening is the first step. In the sense that uh, if we ignore them. Uh, I think that they become worse and worse. And so our police department's been making some changes. We've provided some more funding to the police department, but we can't measure our results based on dollars in. We need to measure our results based on what's coming of the output. So uh, we see two new officers in downtown walking the streets, uh, making sure that uh, it is a, a safe place. I think you'll see some investment by uh, the BIA in terms of uh, welcoming folks downtown and ensuring uh, it's a it's a good atmosphere uh, the county of Simcoe is looking at a new program for uh, for the homeless as well as uh, you know those who are suffering from addictions and mental health issues in the downtown that uh, kind of bridges some of the security with social workers uh, and tries to help those folks get into the appropriate support groups, uh, uh, which we have a plethora of in this city. Uh, police departments working on some pretty uh, incredible pilot projects at the moment that uh, there will be. Uh, you know more information coming out about in the coming in the coming months, uh, and we are lobbying very heavily uh, with regards to the prisoner release program from Penetang here in the city of Barrie, and I expect that we will have some positive information coming out on that in the next few months as well. And so, you know, we need to accept that these things are happening, and we need to make some changes to ensure that uh, they stop happening. But you know, this is a a ten year buildup of this issue, uh, which COVID exacerbated. Uh, very heavily, and I don't think it's going to be solved in a month or two. It's going to take uh, consistent. Um, it's going to take a consistent approach to ensuring safety and security, and ensuring that the social services are there to help those uh, who are in need. I, I think that there's a lot of folks in this town who volunteer and try to uh, ensure that there is opportunity to uh, to have a, a good future and a good path forward. Now, the chief has said too that the technically serious crime overall in the city the past few years has gone down and sometimes what is actually happening what the perception is um it can can be different just because there's a group of young people or older people hanging around doesn't mean they're up to no good so to speak and that um relatively speaking Barry remains a safe community well look i i would i would say that uh that i agree with the chief however we also need to deal with the perception the perception means that we need to make uh visible obvious choices uh, that uh, the safety is paramount in the city of Barrie and that there's a comfort level for folks to be 
downtown, quite frankly, throughout. You know, I live uh, not far from downtown. Uh, in fact, uh, the stabbing on the weekend was 10 doors down from my house. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I think this is an issue that the whole city's facing. And uh, certainly it's one that I'm paying attention to very closely because, you know, these are places where my kids are playing. And uh, to, uh, to have that type of incident there is just, it's just not good enough. Let's talk about, stick with the downtown, but let's talk about the growth, the build of the downtown. And uh, there have been a couple of public meetings regarding a um, performing arts center or as an architect firm that was hired by the city suggested a community cultural hub. In, in both in both cases, uh, the west end of the downtown, that revitalization component, there is a difference between a community cultural hub and a performing arts center. What is it? Well, look, I, I think that the consultants, what they were trying to do is trying to uh, come up with a plan that would provide a facility, at the, facility, but at the same time also provide a place for the arts communities to grow, to uh, have that collaboration, to uh, foster the environment where we're attracting more groups, attracting more audience, attracting more investment. Um, I, I haven't, uh, you know, made any decision in any direction on this yet. Well, council hasn't and, talked and, about and, it, right? And council hasn't talked about it. And so I think that, uh, you know, I'll wait for, I'll await some of the information coming from our internal staff team. And at the same time, I think that it's really important, you know, um, when I was elected in, in October, uh, I was told there's a, there's a, a, a downtown open market that's coming. It's, it's ready to go. There's a performing arts center. It's coming. It's ready to go. There's rec centers in the South end. And there's, you know, all of these items. And it turns out that, I mean, on paper, yeah, okay. They're, they're getting close to being ready to go. Uh, but if there's no money to do the work, they are just that. They're pieces of paper. And so I think the real work that needs to be done, uh, at, you know, at the same time as these folks are are, are uh, uh, putting together plans and, and trying to create opportunities for the future for local organizations is that we find ways to fund uh, these types of, of obviously incredible visionary items for our, for our city center, for our core. And I think as you look into the future, we want to have these facilities. We want to have a a Sadlin Arena that 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 fits uh, the folks who are using it and fits the community in terms of attracting more than just the Berry Colts. So the Berry Colts are a huge portion of that. Uh, we want to have a a, a facility downtown that uh, folks can go to symphonies or or uh, you know theatrical performances or even have uh, an opportunity to um, to have convention uh, space there as well. We want to have an open market where people feel comfortable and they can go and enjoy it. And it's that welcoming, activated atmosphere that we hear Craig Bush talk about all the time. You're not going to please everybody. No, you're That's not. That's obviously. No, no. Um, what's ideal for Alex Nuttall? You know, I think for me, as I look at it, I, I want a facility uh, to be built. Uh, I support a facility being, being built. Uh, I want a place for our local arts groups to be able to uh, find their successes and to grow and for young people to be able to participate in the programs. I also want one that can be funded. You know, all of this is imaginary unless we have the money to do it. And so I think, uh, you know, my job and the job of council over time is to take these dreams and turn them into reality. And for too long, we've been talking about dreams. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about the performing arts you're center or the oh, market. We would like to have. We would like to have. Yes, exactly. And so we need to have the implementation. The rubber hits the road. And so I, I think there's got to be costing done on on what's being proposed to date. Uh, I would guess that the task force costing is well out of date. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it would be today. So I, I don't want to throw figures at you, mm -hmm. but we know there's been 
close to an 80% increase in construction costs over the last, you know, five years. And that's how old that, that information is, right? It's, it's three to five years old at this point. Uh, so we really do need to come up with what that looks like. What are the costs and, and how is it actually going to get funded? And the federal provincial dollars are a possibility. But again, you're squeezed in lots of directions too, because um, you've got the uh, possible expansion of Sandland Arena at a price tag, I think, of $40 million. And you'll hear from other people that say, wait a minute, I want my road paved. I mean, so there's, there's, there's a lot of juggling and a lot of thinking here, right? Like- uh, 100%. And look, we, we, we've increased the, uh, the DERF, the Infrastructure Renewal Fund, specifically for roads. Uh, we are, uh, you know, informing staff that we want that money to be spent in the existing boundaries of the city, not towards growth in the annexation lands, because, uh, you know, that's where those tax dollars have come from. They need to fund the existing infrastructure. The Sadlin Arena, I think we need to come up with a plan. If it's going to happen, it needs to be a plan that's self-funded. So whatever that looks like, we'll have to work through. And in terms of, uh, you know, the downtown, we have to, to find out, you know, performing arts facility, uh, the open market, like these things, uh, you know, they're big picture items that require big picture money. And so uh, we need to work through on how to get that in place. Right now, there's, I think, about either 5 million or 7.5 million set aside for Performing Arts Centre, which we know is going to cost in excess of $50 million. So it's just, we're not there yet. Big doings this weekend for Barry's Season Centre for Grieving Children. Its biggest fundraising event of the year, the Tender Hearts Gala and Auction, raising money needed to continue offering more than a shoulder to children and families in need of support. Here again is our MJ with the Season Centre's Lisa Spinks. You guys have your big annual event coming up. Always a really big deal for you guys. Tell me about Tender Hearts. Okay, so this is our 27th annual Tender Hearts Gala, and our theme this year is Denim and Diamonds. And we're, we've got a great um, lineup of activities going on for the event. We've got uh, Memphis Mud is playing, we've got a live auction, we've got an online silent auction, so that's another way for your listeners to get involved or your readers. Do you have any set plans of how much you would love to raise this year? You guys do things throughout the year, but this is your big one. Yeah, this is our signature event. Um, so we are hoping to raise over $100,000 this, this year. Now you're mm-hmm. saying a little bit about uh, what we can expect at the gala. Um, you've always sort of had um, your mainstays of things that are going to happen there, but is yeah. there anything different to expect this year? Oh, this year we, this is a really good point. Um, this year, every ticket purchase has a chance to win a trip for two to Nashville, USA. So um, that's new. Yeah. For anyone who's not Thank familiar, you. we mm-hmm. do have like a lot of people moving into Barrie all the time. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the work that you guys do. Yeah. So Season Center has been around for 28 years and we support children through grief. So children are often the forgotten mourners when, um, when a loved one dies. And what we know is that they need support because they feel isolated in their, in their grief. And Uh, statistically, I think it's one in 14 children will experience the death of a loved one by the time they turn 18. So it's, it's about one in one child in every two classrooms that will experience, um, grief in that way. And so we offer a peer support program for them. So they know that they're not alone and that they can connect with other kids who have gone something, gone through something similar. The gala, when is it taking place and how can people get tickets? So the gala takes place on Friday, April 28th. Uh, 
if people want to participate either in the online auction or getting tickets, they can go to grievingchildren.com slash gala. Barry Baycats are prepping in the Dominican, getting ready for the new ball season. One, the Baycats president, Josh Matlow, thinks they can ride to another championship. He's with our Will Conkin. Another season coming up for you and the Baycats. Uh, what were your priorities for the club this offseason? Um, we found a few pieces. We, uh, we, were, we were rebuilding the last couple of years, and we had a lot of young talent, um, but we, we didn't know what we had with them. Um, we learned a lot in the last two years, and then now we know what we have. We're not rebuilding anymore. We're, we're going to be making a push for uh, a championship this year. So we added a few pieces, some big bats and some good pitching so that we're able to uh, contend. Uh, last year we had uh, commitment issues. You know, guys have lives, and, and that's the reality of the league. Um, but we needed a rotation. Uh, we had import issues. Um, some of the players couldn't make certain games, and, and it just became a ripple effect that affected us in our um, in our playoff run. So I think this year it's, it's having uh, a full roster, uh, having full-time players, having a full-time rotation, having full-time imports, uh, getting them here early. There's a lot more consistency this year. How about uh, for the fans? Wise, uh, are there any like special nights going on uh, off off air? You were kind of mentioning about uh, just setting up all of that. Yeah, there's there's quite a few theme nights. I think there's about eight uh, on top of our Junior Bay Cats that we did last year. Uh, this year there'll be six Junior Bay Cats games, opposed to five. Uh, we will be announcing the theme nights, but there are some that we've never done before that we're excited to uh, announce, be a part of, and um, promote. So I guess we'll have to wait for that. That's some big news for you guys. You're heading down to the Dominican Republic for uh, spring training. Yeah, so we, this was an idea I had uh, in 2020, actually, and this was something we spoke about internally uh, within the organization to do. Uh, being a new team, we thought it would be a good idea to go down, spend some time together, play some baseball, see what we got basically going into the season. Um, again, we had, I think it was like 30 new players uh, with, with three guys who played for the Big Cats previous. So, um, but then COVID happened, and that wasn't really a thing. So um, we wanted to do it last year. It was still a little bit shaky on the COVID and the traveling and the restrictions. Uh, so this year we decided to do it, and we followed through with it, and uh, we're just very excited. Awesome. We're excited to uh, go down there and spend some time with each other, uh, with uh, some beautiful weather and some good baseball, and really just kind of take in the, the whole baseball culture down there. What does the itinerary kind of look like for the trip? You're going to be playing some games, like you said, and then I think you're were you also um, bringing down some equipment as well? Yeah, so we're bringing down uh, three to four duffel bags of equipment. We're going to be going to a handful of uh, baseball academies down there. Uh, we rented a team bus each day. Uh, the first couple uh, days we're going to be, you know, going off on the team bus. We're going to go to these academies prior to going to the stadium, uh, meet a few kids, hopefully play some catch, and it's going to go a long way. It's not just uh, sending equipment uh, to the Dominican that we've done the last few years since we started the, for, for the love of the game um, equipment drive. We sent down duffel bags and uh, rain barrels worth of stuff, and it's really amazing when we get the pictures, but I can't imagine the feeling it's going to be when we actually hand it to them personally and get to see their faces and, uh, like I said, get to you know play catch with them with their gloves for the first time. Um, I think it's going to be a really cool baseball experience, not only for myself, but uh, the guys that are going down. I think they know what um, they're signing up for, and they're pretty excited too. Going back to uh, the games that will be played, a uh, lot of talent, uh, like you were kind of mentioning down in the Dominican. Uh, the, are you <laughs> looking for some competitive matches for your guys? Yeah, so so the team we're playing is a collection uh, of former pro players, which is going to really push us to the limits and see what we're capable of, but also to you know maybe humble us to say, hey, this is where we're at. 
prior to the season, making sure we can get ready. Um, but it's going to be a collection from the local uh, talent that's there. They're all on different teams in the summer, but they've all come together. Uh, they grew up in La Romana. La Romana is the hometown of our current player, Ranfian Fonde. So he has all these baseball connections. And when I brought it up, just saying, hey, we're thinking of going down, uh, he's like, well, can we please go to La Romana? Because we could play at the stadium. I know the coach. And we can kind of get a few uh, of the logistics worked out there. And he helped uh, a ton. So it was a really nice connection for us, and it really made it happen. And uh, it's kind of a, a dream we had that's, that's starting to come true. Things were meant to be. And then um, home opener is on uh, May 18th against the Maple Leafs. Uh, what do you want to say to the listeners? Well, we're, we're hoping that uh, we have all our imports by then. We have a full rotation and uh, a full bench. And we're hoping to uh, start strong. And we have, I think, believe it's five out of the first six games uh, are at home. And we're looking to start off hot and, and stay hot. And that, that's the idea. So, again, consistency, um, commitment, and uh, a strong a strong team this year. In a couple of years since the Baycats' string of six championships in a row came to an end. And that's the end of our program for this week. Thanks to Ian, MJ, and Will for chipping in, to Matt Ladder for connecting the dots, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360 and on our website, barry360.com. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.